Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. We welcome our listeners back to our first 2022 episode. Today, we welcome Neil Gahani, founder of Mind Lumen, a digital psychedelic platform that offers support through vetted guides, therapists, and journey spaces in a safe and private space. Welcome, Neil. We are so happy to have you, and we'd love to hear how you became involved with psychedelics and how a traditional tech executive like yourself decided to start a career in the psychedelic industry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's it's great to be here with you all. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think, 2016, 2017. I think that was the first trigger. I was at a music festival in Oregon um, for the Oregon Eclipse. Um, that's when my eyes were open to a different reality um, that gave me something that I had to kind of think about. I didn't even know what it was that somebody gave me, but all I knew was that all of a sudden I, I had this sort of feeling of compassion towards everybody that I met and stayed up till five o'clock in the morning and with all my friends hanging out. And uh, I I've never taken drugs in my life. Um, <clears throat> the only drug I've ever taken is alcohol. Um, and uh, later on, I found out that it was it was uh, it was MDA, um, and that's when I started becoming curious uh, about my own experience and sort of opened up a little sliver of a crack into my own psyche. Um, I had not dealt with my own trauma uh, growing up um, as a as a kid uh, of abandonment, which um, which I felt was normal, but later on I felt that it wasn't really normal. I mean, I grew up in a in a military boarding school. I was sent there when I was four and a half on a plane to a different country, um, and dropped off. Um, you know, my uncle dropped me off in a train, and somebody picked me up at the station, and they they took me in this bus and had this metal cage, and I felt like I was going to prison. Uh, and I stayed there from the time I was four and a half till I graduated um, high school and only saw my parents for about um, two and a half months out of every year, twice a year. So and then after that, I came to college when I was 16. I didn't really know a soul here uh, as a first generation uh, Indian immigrant. You know, I basically had three choices. My parents said, you know, I'd be a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really wanted to become a professional tennis player who was damn good at it, but we couldn't, of course, afford any of that. So I became an engineer. Uh, and so that's how my career in tech uh, started. It paid the bills. I was able to pay off my loans and uh, college debt. And, and, you know, I never looked back. Uh, in fact, I, I, my experience was so bad that I never went to India after that. In fact, I still haven't gone back since since I left there. So, um so none of this I had to deal with. I had a good, you know, financial life, and I became career focused, like most Indians do. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, after 2016, I started to read a lot about it and, and started to discover. Um, and that's kind of when I discovered Michael Pollan's book, and and uh, we were traveling in Colombia, and 
And I didn't know what I was actually reading. I was reading about it, I was curious about it, but I didn't really know what he was talking about when he was talking about, you know, set setting um, <clears throat> and preparation and integration. And there was an ayahuasca ceremony going on happening next to a place we were staying at. So I said, let's just go, let's go try this. I had not prepared anything. I was not in any condition uh, to be to be doing this. Luckily it didn't happen because the shaman didn't show up. So in a way it was good and allowed me uh, time, but I was kind of ready and curious, but it wasn't until 2020. So it took me three years basically to find even the first guide that I would even approach to talk about this. I'd never gone to therapy in my life. And that's in 2020, early 2020 is when I first went to my therapy session because I would say, okay, I'm going to do this thing called a journey. Um, and then I was ready to, my mind was getting prepared for, for doing that. And then my mom died in the middle of 2020. And so I postponed it uh, to October. And in October 2020 is when I first did my MDMA journey. And then I did another one with MDMA and mushrooms in January of 2021. But it wasn't until June 2021 that I was just blown away. I, I was completely blown away uh, with that experience. And and I was, I'd never cried that much in my entire life. I'm sorry to be clear in 2021 in June, you were, what, what um, substance were you using then? Was that still? That in was pure mushrooms and it was seven grams. Oh, so yeah. Simon. Okay. Oh wow! Oh, the uh, hero no dose, Neil. No, That's no was, micro. It was, it was uh, because the first <laughs> two, I felt like they were really nice. They were very warm, heart opening. They were mind opening, but it wasn't an epiphany that I was reading about. You know, I was I was reading about all this stuff and I said, well, it's not it's not ego death, and it's it's not. And even in in June, it it, it wasn't that, but it was just so amazing that I was telling my guide at the time, it's like, you know, I was saying in the therapy session, it's like, you know, the world needs to know. And I would switch dimensions and I would say it again. And I would switch dimensions again. I switched dimensions like six or seven times in my, in my journey. My heart was beating so much that she was putting her hand on my chest, like several times during the session. But I knew I felt, I felt safe, you know, and I felt like, I just needed to go through this process. It's the first time that I could actually make a connection with my mom because I was never close to my parents or my sibling, but this is the first time that I could actually connect. I could feel my mom's pain when she was in a refugee camp and her sister died. My mom, her mom giving birth to her sister died in the refugee camp where they grew up. I could literally feel that. I could feel the, the joy, the sadness, the love, mm. the ecstasy all rolled up into one and the feeling that I've never felt in my entire life. And that's when I realized coming out of that, oh my God, I need to do something in this space. Um, and that's how I got started. You know, it wasn't until November or so when I first um, started, you know, started working on it, but then I was trying to think about what I could do. And, and that's when I could say, okay, I can leverage my, tech experience and my experience with crypto and DAO and then apply it to this space to actually help the explorers and seekers like me who want to seek healing, be able to get that healing without friction. And that's how my loom was born. What a beautiful story. 
Well, it is very important. I mean, because we talk to so many different people and they're interested in the journey. They'd love to take the journey. They'd love to get involved. But it's just where does someone even begin? You know, it's just there's so many different organizations and companies offering this. Do you stay local? Do you travel? You know, and if you're going to pick up your life and travel to somewhere, you know, you want to make sure that these these journeying facilities have been vetted by in some way. And I know that that's something that you're committed to doing um, through My Lumen. So if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that process of how you want to vet through some of these practitioners um, so that people feel that, you know, when they come to you, that these these places have already been considered. Yeah, it's a very, very good question. And, you know, my partner was a psychiatric nurse was working with me like he's shepherding that particular aspect of it because he is in the medical community and 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 he's working he's been working in the space uh, for quite some time so he is going to be the point person that is working on a, a vetting and an onboarding criteria uh, I also have friends of mine that are psychologists in the space that I know pretty well who are helping me with uh, with that process you know it's on a spectrum you know we we don't we don't um we don't make judgments about whether you know somebody needs to be medically licensed or not licensed uh you know those are not the judgments we make what we want to do is to make all of these levels of expertise available and known and inform the explorer and the guide and educate the explorer and the guide in how to decide to even find, filter, and select. Um, you know, even your first two or three people that you even want to have a conversation with. You know, and and that like I know that process for me was super difficult. And people that come to me and say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm curious about this." So there are people that are curious, and there are people that are ready. You know, and so we need to understand. Who's curious? Who's ready? And what stage are they are? Them? Because you can't just like my sister suffers from depression. I could tell her that the cows come home that she should go take psilocybin or whatever. But if she's not ready and she's not curious, it will not help. You know, so you can, you cannot tell somebody. They have to sort of come to it. And and so education, I think, is a key part of this process. We you know we talk to each other in the psychedelic community. But part of that is we need to talk to people outside our own psychedelic community and help understand people that are on the edges, you know, people that are curious or even, you know, have heard the name but don't really know what it means. And there's lots of work for us as a community to do. Um, but for us, for the guides, we want to make all that information available in a very easy and simple way to digest. You know, you can think about it as sort of a, a massive database with lots of filters. Uh, on it, but but we have to educate the the explorer um, and the person seeking the healing about how to decide to choose and what's important and what's not important, and that everything we do to remove friction for the guides, like the guides and the therapists, we're doing that in service of the journey seeker and the people seeking the healing. That is the mission. That's the purpose of why we exist. You know, as so when we talk about a frictionless platform. Uh, we're talking about removing the friction for the guides and the therapists and the people offering spaces. But all of that is in service of the people seeking the healing because that's what we want is for the guides' minds and energies to be focused on just that, that experience for that explorer. 
all other stuff like scheduling, logistics, music, food, finding a space, finding transportation, payments. We want to remove all of that for 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 the guides, you know, so that this all their energy is focused on helping. So I think your ideals for psychedelics are so admirable. And um, I just wonder if they are achievable. For example, psychedelics are already being synthesized by pharma companies. There are psychedelic companies on the stock exchange, two of which have valuations over a billion dollars. Um, how do you envision merging your beautiful ideals into this already commercialized industry? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, you know, we 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 have two options, right? As 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 the community, we can fight that battle, we can fight against it, right? Or we can provide an alternative. We choose to provide an alternative, and the alternative that we're providing is to look at regenerative models of capitalism. We now have tools that we didn't have before to implement those regenerative models of capitalism, right? And that's that's the approach that we're taking. Now, what does that mean? That means that the nonprofit side of the business is going to encourage and incentivize and promote and differentiate those people that are regenerative capitalists. And by that, I mean people who contribute to open science, open nature, open source, the usonas of the world, the maps of the world, the mimosa therapeutics of the world, right? There are companies who are purely extractive, and we know who those are, right? We don't want to encourage and promote and incentivize that. So the program that we're creating, in fact, the very first program that we're creating, it's kind of modeled after like B Labs for B Corps, essentially, right? So there is a there's a process that you go through to apply for that, and it's a sliding scale model. So it can apply from individuals all the way to companies, right? And it's a membership program, and you get this certified seal of approval, kind of like an organic seal, uh, but kind of like a B Corp or B certified seal. And we will encourage that type of program and we'll fund it through our own currency, right? And so we have a model of you earn by giving model, you know? So even if you donate, like if somebody donates something to us, 10% of that will give back to them in our currency. So we want to create that sort of moral model, and we are doing that through our, our platform. That's what crypto and blockchain and DAO allows us to do because we can effectively create our own monetary system, right? And and before these tools didn't exist before, and there's a lot of hype and crap in the in the in the crypto community. You know, a lot of there's a lot of crypto companies that are also very very extractive. One of the extractive models of even in the crypto community that people talk about decentralization and all of this stuff. Um, it's not really decentralized because the way they issue tokens is basically have this notion of more money means more votes. We don't want that model. You know, we we said no. We're we we can have a different model. So one of the beauties of creating a DAO is that you can actually have two separate tokens. You can have one that's a utility token for earning, and you can have a completely separate token for governance. So you do not tie just because you earn more utility tokens, you actually have more votes. More dollars does not mean more votes, right? And that's part of our ethos. 
So that's the kind of model that we can create. And that's an alternative that we have that we can use. So you're saying this, this model could run side by side with this commercialized industry. Correct. Saying they could, co- they could cohabitate. <laughs> that's right. They could live. And so I- imagine, imagine a typical VC that says, you know what, I'm a typical extractive VC. I, I want to put money in because I want to earn a return on my investment, right? Okay, so how would they do that in this regenerative model, right? We would say, yeah, you just buy our tokens. You don't get a share of the company. You don't get votes. You don't get board seats. You want to make money, buy our token. You invest in our treasury because if you believe in our business, that's what you would do. You know, Now, if the value of the tokens go up, you're going to earn a return on that, right? And that's your extractive value. You can extract value. You can go take that token. You can sell it. You can trade it. You can convert it to something else. But what you cannot do is to use that to say, I'm going to change your mission or I'm going to change mm-hmm. your vision. That's what you cannot do because those are not governance tokens. And how do you get the governance tokens again? How would someone earn those? The governance tokens. So the governance tokens you earn, there's a company called, it's a nonprofit company called Disco.coop. Um, and they have created a sort of a, it's a feminine, a female-led company. And they 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 basically have created a structure around how governance rules would work. You sort of has a graduate program. You start off as a community member, then you move to a contributor, then you move to a collaborator, then you move to a member or an employee, and then you become a leader. But you have to put in work and the community decides you graduate up that ladder. And so when you graduate up that ladder, as you move up the ladder, you start to earn governance tokens. You know, when you can become a member or a leader, and you're part of the vision and leadership team that moves the ball forward, right? And so you kind of need to earn your way to that. And initially, like with all crypto companies, you're all going to start off centralized, right? Because somebody has to sort of put a stake in the ground and, and put the ethos in and start creating the proposals and the original governance. But our goal long-term is to have it outlive us. When I'm long dead and gone, the system lives, and the community then self-governs. And what it looks like in the future, the community will decide, I'm not here anymore. You know, I'm not going to pass it down to my heirs or whatever. That's not how it's going to work because it's community-driven. I can't do that. You know, it's, 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 it's sort of built into the, to the structure and the foundation of it. You know, if there's a company called MakerDAO. Like MakerDAO started about six years ago, and they started with two founders, and they built it. Now, six years later, they're not even part of it. The system is like the community now owns and they govern it and they run it however they want to run it, right? So they've put in the structures in place to do that. So where my tech experience comes in is because I, I consider myself a cat, cat herder and a conductor. Like this is what I did for a living. I managed distributed remote teams. I put in decision-making frameworks. I know how to do this, right? So I basically go, okay, I'm going to leverage my skill sets that I learned with my experience, and now I'm going to apply it to a model that is relatively new, but taking that and applying it to this space to build the digital, you know, digital distributed co-op, um, because that's a big challenge for co-ops. Co-ops in the current day, the reason co-ops don't exist in the U.S. as much, I mean, they are there, but not as much, they're not as prevalent as they are in Europe, for example. You know, a friend of mine was telling me that Co-ops there, they don't even know, like they don't even ask the question about what do you do for a living? 
right? <laughs> for people in the community. You know, you could be living next to a person that's a CFO who's tending, or you could be uh, living next to a person that may be sweeping the floors. They don't ask, what do you do for a living? You know, uh, and that's very normal there. Here, it's not so normal. You know, co-ops are not normal because we had this sort of extractive authoritarian culture, you know, and that's what we live in. That's the system that we have. So the challenge to building a co-op here is scale and decision, speed of decision-making, right? That's the big challenge. And so now with these tools, we can actually make that happen. Uh, and we can economically incentivize that through a monetary system. Can you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. So Neil, if someone doesn't have a lot of money, but they have, you know, compassion and care into this industry and they're willing to put the time in and do those things, would they would be able to be a part of this That's right. in a way without having, which makes it much more of an inclusive space, right? Because so much of this is if you don't have dollars, you can't get in, right? And yes. this is saying that, you know, if you're able to do other parts in the community and contribute to the community, you don't need to have cash. You need That's to right. have you know, the the wherewithal, the time, the passion, and the efforts to put it into the community. Is that correct? That's right. The whole notion okay. of why does, why does volunteerism exist, right? The whole notion of volunteerism is that these are the most passionate people, right? And they are giving up their time and talent for a cause they believe in, yet they don't get paid for it. Why? They should get paid for it. And what we're, what we're saying is that, we don't need actually volunteerism because that's extractive labor. You're taking someone's labor because they care about something deeply. You're taking their labor for free. We do a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of that, right? Because we, and, and it's just not fair. It's not free. This is not how philanthropy should actually work, right? I mean, People have to go struggle to write grants and, and beg for money and, and all of that stuff. It's, it's a pain. All that time and energy spent doing that could actually be done actually performing the tasks that you care about and actually earning a living from it, you know. Uh, and that's, you know, one of, my, one of my sort of visions is that everyone should have a decent middle class life. We shouldn't be talking about minimum wage. We should be talking about a middle-class living wage. That should be the conversation that we ought to be having. You know, this notion that we talk about every time somebody talks about it, it's like minimum wage. No, minimum wage is like an extractive. You're, you're basically saying, what's the cheapest thing I can pay to someone that I can, I can get the value out of? Somebody else is getting the value out of that, not the person who has to put in the effort and the time and the energy to do that. You know, and they're just barely getting by. Um, that's just not a fair system. And yes, we have to work in this, you know, the system that we have and the democratic system that we have, 
but we now have tools. We, we can actually create an alternate system, you know? So let's do that. It's just so wild to me because, I mean, this could be used, so useful for cannabis right now. I mean, we can't right. get the Safe Banking Act. We can't yes. get any of this stuff going. So I know it was a psychedelic conversation, but right. I just feel like that, you know, the cryptocurrency conversation around psychedelics, like if the bank's not going to help us, I mean, uh, I mean, maybe we just take it into ourselves. So I think this conversation, you know, really can expand beyond right. just even psychedelics that, you know, cryptocurrency can turn into, I think, a really... Uh, potential way that the cannabis industry can can bank outside of and the system. Can, and then you can decide as a consumer or a participant, like, this is my community here. I'm not interested in, in that community yes. and, and whatever they're doing, but these are my people, which we feel a lot in this space. Yeah. Like, and these are the people that I can do business with. I like it. I was really skeptical. I have to tell you, but more and more you talk, I'm I, I like it. Yeah, it it's you know, and people are like I'm I'm a, I'm a suspect techie, right? Coming into the uh, psychedelic space, I've got several strikes against me. I'm a person of color. <laughs> There's not too that's many people your, like that's me. That's your in the, favor. That's your favor. <laughs> you know, but I don't see people like me in the in the in the in the space, you know, and 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 so I want to see more people like me in there and you know, obviously another thing is like, yeah, I I built my career on tech, so I'm already suspect in the community and on top of that, I have experience with crypto and blockchain. Okay, there's another level of suspect on top of that, right? So it's like I get that I have these multiple layers of suspect when I when I'm in this community, right? But all I can do is to say, look, I'm that's why I'm completely open about it, which is to say everything I even think about, I write and I publish. And I say this is this is what I'm thinking. Even if they're not decided yet, I'm gonna like I, I post on my Twitter feed, it's like, this is what I'm thinking right now. You know, and that's how I connected with you, Neil, was from yeah. Twitter because you are on there sharing and and commenting yeah. on posts and showing people how you're really involved and that you're really truly passionate about this. I mean, that's that's certainly how I first connected with you. Yeah, was, and I, was... I love your story of how you, you know, this was not your bag. It, like you came upon it and then you explored it, and all of a sudden you're like, I get it. Like yeah. I understand. Let me help this yeah. community. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a learning, it's still, I'm still learning, right? I, I have a, lots of fears. I have lots of doubts. I don't know what the future holds. You know, I can't control what the future does. I can't undo the past. The past is the past. I can't undo that. The only thing I'm really sure about, the process of self-discovery is the right process of self-discovery for me. Everything else, I'm just going to accept how it comes you know, it's very possible. I'm, I'm not employed right now. I'm not making any money at all, right? And maybe even I may have to go back and I may have to go to tech just to earn a living so I can then pursue this as a passion thing on the side if that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. All of that stuff is a means to an end. This is the end goal. I don't care what the means are at this point, you know? Whatever, you know, I'm not going to do anything illegal or whatever. I don't, we don't sell any substances on our site. We don't do any of that, you know, but we do want to leverage the tools that we have to be able to change the dynamic, to be able to say, you know, let's, let's pursue an alternative uh, instead of constantly like, yeah, I, I will support, 
if our currency grows in value, I will take that currency because part of the nonprofit is to take the money and pay for a sliding scale model for people who can't afford to get therapy, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can, because we can create our own currency, uh, over time, that currency has a value and that value can be converted because we can now pay um, on a sliding scale model. We can also use it to help pay for education of therapists and guides who want to get certified, you know, and, and we want to pay for that. Now, we don't do the, you know, education part of it. There's lots of other organizations that do that, right? But we would say, yeah, that's aligned with our ethos. That's aligned with our mission. That's aligned with our vision. Therefore, we will use the community funds to be able to then pay for those things if people want it. We'll create a scholarship fund for that through our currency. We can do those things. And those are those are all possible now, uh, and that's what we want to pursue. Um, so we'll, you know, that's the primary objective. And the primary objective isn't the for-profit side of the business. It's only because we want to make enough capital to like really support these nonprofit programs. Like that's that's the whole point of doing this. I like I don't need to make after I've paid people's salaries and we've made enough and. Like, I don't need any more. Like, after I have a decent middle-class life and I can pay my rent and go on a couple of vacations and save for retirement, I don't need any more money. I don't really care. You know, it's like, it's just, that's that's what I want to do. It's like... Well, it's right there in your core values on your website, your core principles. And it says, for our listeners, you're going to have to check this out. It literally says, radical transparency, money is not power, fairness and respect. And I just... Love that because I think that, you know, to put lay it out there so blatantly and say, listen, this is we're going to make this be a part of our core values that we're not making this be about just a cash grab. Because, again, with this new industry, there are a lot of people coming from aware what's real, what's not. So to lay it out there in your core values to be like, we're going to be completely open (laughs) and we're going to make sure that you realize that money is not going to be a part of what we're doing. And with that comes that fairness and respect that I think is so important. So, I mean, I was kind of blown away to see money is not, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that was like to see it in a business and to come so far. I just have never seen anything like that. So I have to applaud you for that because that that is something really um, to have a core principle like that. Money is not power. Um, I just love it. Yeah. And and, it's, and I believe that for a long time, right? Because I, I'm, I'm a very, I'm, I'm an advocate and I also am very much involved in policy work and I'm very much involved in the democratic system. Like I believe in a democratic system. I've grown... Very few people have grown up under three different systems. I've grown up under three different systems. I've grown up under two different democracies and one authoritarian regime. I can tell you, as messy as this democracy is, it's still the best freaking democracy in the world. It's very messy, right? Thank it's, it's, you it's, for it's, saying it, though. I think it's beautiful that you have seen some different, uh, you know, iterations of uh, ruling, right, over a country, over a land, and. Um, I like you. I, I, it's so messy. It's so ugly. It's so, but it's the best that I know. But hearing yes. it from someone else who's who's uh, you know seen it from a different side, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we all have to. We all have to do our part, right? If we we can sit and complain, like there's a lot of people on Twitter just complain, or they're massive megaphones, you know, inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you haven't really offered any solutions. Like, what is the solution? Mm-hmm. What is the policy prescription that you're offering to 
to actually help that? Have you read the text of the language of, you know, of SB 519 or AB 1400? Like, what is specifically that you want to offer to fix whatever you think is broken? You know, it's like, it, it, it's great that people complain, but, you know, complain only goes so far. Uh, so, for us, it's like, let's do something about it. Now, you know, my passions are right now on the policy side is focusing on SB 519 and focusing on AB 400, 1400. Those Can are you two tell policies. us a little bit about those? Yeah, so SB 519 is modeled after the Oregon bill for decriminalizing uh, psychedelics, you know, plant-based, I should say plant-based medicines um, in California. It's sponsored by uh, Senator Scott Weiner. Um, you know, it was it was put on hold last year because of the recall election, um, and and so now it's in this legislative session that's going to come back up again, and it looks like it has a good chance of you know getting passed. There's obviously there's people working to figure out which legislators are supportive and not supportive of it, but but we think it's it's, it's very likely going to get passed, and, and if it doesn't get passed with the legislature, it'll probably get put on the ballot in November. My guess is that most of California will probably pass it. And generally, if it gets on the ballot, it gets passed. Um, so we wow. think there's a good chance that that's going to get passed. And that's going to open up. It's going to just freaking open up the door like wide open. Because if you just think about what's happened in Oregon, which is our neighboring state to the north, um, you know, they're saying that just the Oregon bill alone will create a need for between 40,000 to 100,000 guides and therapists, Right. Wow. If California passes, it's going to be 5x to 10x that, right? How are you going to onboard these people at scale, right? This is this is a problem, and this is a problem that we want to try and address with our platform. Like We, we want to be able to uh, do that because these people are going to need training and certifications and money for that, and and then they're going to have to charge, and they're still it's still working in decriminalization, so it's still gray area. So how do they get paid? You know, how do their security and privacy be protected at the same time that they can get paid for their work? I mean, there's a lot of work to do. These are not easy problems to solve, right? But we we now have the ability, I think, the tooling to be able to actually solve those problems because our platform is based on crypto. So I don't even know the person's identity, right? I know everything about them. I know what their skill set is. I know, I know, and all of that's public on the blockchain, right? It's everything is on the blockchain. So you kind of know publicly who they are. I mean, what they're capable of, but not who they are, right? So, so it's like, so I can pay them and they just have a crypto address. And so their payments are paid to them through the crypto address. And that's visible for everybody to see as well. So you can see who's making what, you know, and, and uh, that goes for us as well. How do you know their well. background? How do you, you know, that they're, what their credentials are? That's the wet, that's the vetting process that we're going to go through. Like, so part of that is the application that they're going to go through that they don't get on the platform without going through that vetting process. Right. And, and uh. so, so we will need, we're creating a system to onboard them. So we will know like our platform or the, the small leadership team will probably know who they are and that we can connect their crypto address to their identity but most people will not know who they are, you know, and you, you kind of need to know that because the government requires rules about knowing your customer. So if they do suspect something fraudulent, they will issue a subpoena to us and then we, we will have to, you know, we'll have to, uh, you know, reveal that. Right. But that's what the law requires right now. So so we are going to have to be that uh, be that uh, company that safeguards uh, people's information. But we don't need to make that information public and we don't need more than what's necessary 
Like I go to Amazon to rent cloud services and they need my social security number, my credit card and my birthday. Like why? I, I don't I don't get it. Like why do you need all this information? Right? We only want to right. collect the information that's necessary, you know, um, because yes, we have we have to deal with abuse in our own, you know, in our own society, in our own community. We need a way for the explorers and for the people seeking the healing to be able to expose that, you know. Uh, but we need a mechanism to deal with it in our own community. We can't hide it under the cover. So we can't use anonymity as a means to hide that. So we don't get full anonymity. Like people talk about crypto, they go, oh, yeah, you're going to get full um, anonymity. You don't actually get full anonymity. You get a lot of anonymity. But it's like your information only should be released at the time that it's needed and not before. You know, uh, So when when an explorer is searching and filtering for what they're looking for they let's say somebody comes in and say say you know like like robin divine said i need you know if i'm going to go uh, search for healing i want to you know i want a black therapist i want to pick a black therapist that's one of the criteria i'm not going to be the judge of somebody seeking the healing that what they need in the therapist you know i'm going to give them all the tools to be able to say if that's what you need if you're a trans person you need a trans therapist if that's what you want if you don't that's okay if some people want male therapists, some people want a female therapist, you know, uh, some people say, no, I only want therapists with experience. Like I need to have them have gone through at least 10 sessions of psilocybin themselves. Like that's a criteria, you know? So pe- people, people need to be able to choose and we want to be able to give them that ability to choose. And if you have a hundred thousand or 200,000 or a million guys and therapists across the world, how do you narrow it down to two or three in your locality that you even want to have a conversation with? So I can conceivably put in my criteria and then I get a choice. So here are That's the people right. that meet your criteria in your area. That's correct. And you can just say, you know what? I don't want to travel more than three hours for my journey. You know, that's a criteria. So you can, you can choose your criteria and you can also choose based on that criteria and the value of that, the, the value of that criteria to, to then narrow down to three people that will meet your criteria. And then you can decide by looking at those three people's profile. You still don't know their names. But once you've decided that, oh, yeah, this is the person I want to start having a dialogue with, that's when you'll know their name. You said something about um, SB519 that really like just hit me. I mean, if this does pass and all of a sudden now... California is going to need five to 10 times more therapists than Oregon. I mean, not everyone's going to be able to afford to go to a traditional school to be able to do that, to be able to go through this. And I feel that there are some people that have done hundreds, if not thousands of journeys, maybe even be considered a shaman in their respective communities that don't have any letters next to their name but have been doing this for so long and so ingrained in the community that they deserve to have a seat at the table. And I just wonder, you know, through what you're seeing in California, will there be place for those that do not have letters next to their name to get involved in the psychedelic space? Um, Because how are we going to get enough, you know, medical professionals to be able to assist with the sessions? We're not. You're right, Gina. We are not going to have that, right? I mean, and that's the whole point. What we wanted to do was like, we our platform is designed for precisely that like for for saying that we are not going to be the judge of whether you have the right creds or don't have the right credentials we're not the judge of that 
we want to know what your creds or experience is, but we're going to let the community choose about whether they want to work with you or not. It's not up to me to decide whether whether you have an MD next to your name or PhD next to your name or no credentials next to you or whether you went to you know CIS or whether you went to the MAPS training. We don't know which one is better or worse or not. Like I'm not going to be the judge of that. I, I'm just going to say, you you need to tell me that that's what you meant. That's up to you. You can decide to say that I've done a thousand journeys and I've done X many group sessions and I've you know, and do that. And you can provide testimonials. And that's all part of your profile that, that you choose to put up there. We will make that available to our community of people seeking the healing. And that can be one of the criteria that they can decide if that's good enough for them or not. I'm not going to be the one making that call. You know, I want to make the information available in such an easy to digest way so that the person seeking the healing can make a decision quickly. I love that. I love that because some people will feel absolutely better being in a medical clinical setting. Absolutely. 100%. But then others are not, they're they're going to want to be maybe out in nature or maybe in a group setting or doing something. And so I agree that it shouldn't be up to us to decide what someone else's healing journey should look like as much as this kind of protective veil, I feel like that's right. That your community could create that just makes people feel that there has been a process of vetting to ensure that there's a similar ethics and that people are really having an accountability for one another and looking out for one another. Because as this industry grows, it's it's really like you said, it's going to happen and scale very fast. And so being able to have those filters and filter through and find, you know, the information that you want and need quickly, I think that that's going to be so impactful for our industry. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for, you know, because we know that this is going to be a very challenging thing to do. And it's, um, you know, and it's and we have lots of challenges of our own to resolve and we need to be able to open, be open about it. We're going to make like we're humans. We're going to make mistakes. I'm a human. I'm going to make mistakes. You know, it's, it's part of life. It's part of uh, who you're going to be. But I'm going to be held accountable for that, you know, which is why I do my work in the public. And and the community will hold you accountable. That's what yeah. you're saying, too, right? So if there is a bad actor, then everybody's going to call That's them right. out we, on we, that and say, you know, that wasn't cool. That was not a good place for me. That's right. Now, we you know, there yeah. there's all kinds of interesting challenges there, Elizabeth, because, you know, let's say you know, who decides, quote unquote, what's a bad actor, right? I mean, I don't want to be the judge and jury and the policeman uh, for that, but we do need to have some mechanism. You know, we need, to, we need to have some adjudication mechanism, right, to be able to resolve that. So part of the challenge that I'm working with my partner on is that ethics is a big part of this, right? Can we have an ethics commission that's compensated to basically adjudicate? You know, and and so the ethics commission can be plugged into our network, and they would get paid for adjudication. You know, that means they have to get to a decision. They have to get to, you know, it can drag. It cannot drag on and hurt somebody's career if you're not really sure about all of that is right. But we need to create. Like, I don't have the expertise to be on the ethics commission. Like I just don't have that expertise, but they are people that I know who are uh, ethics 
uh, people. So we, what we can do, what we can help is say, we can decide which people who have the right expertise to be on there and also put it up for community vote and say, before we even create an ethics commission, you are the community members. Do you approve of these? It's like electing a board of directors. Do you approve of these people on the ethics commission? And do you also approve the proposal, which also is going to be public? And all of this, of course, is public because it's going to be on the blockchain as smart contracts. You can say, I am voting on these proposals, right? And so those things are part and parcel of a system that we need to create, right? And and we got to figure out how to fund that system. And well, crypto and tokens is one way to fund that system, you know, and, and, and that's what we can use. It can be funded through fiat, it can be funded through tokens, it can be funded through a combination, it can be funded through donations. There's many, many different ways to make that happen. Uh, but we know that there's things that we are good at, like my expertise and my partner's expertise is in certain areas, and that's what we chose to focus our platform on. But there's sort of these adjacent areas that are part of our ecosystem that we want to encourage, that we want to figure out how to plug in, and then you know, use our nonprofit arm to basically encourage those types of things to happen. Because they're beneficial to the community and they're beneficial to the ecosystem as a whole. I can't wait to see all this unfolds. I mean, it's, I'm so I excited know. for you, Neil. I mean, it's really um, just appreciate you uh, putting the time and dedication into this, pro- I mean, into this. I mean, you could have just kept staying in tech and not cared, had that great journey, but never changed your life about it, but you did. And I'm just really can't wait to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot of, it's going to be a lot of work and we're going to need a lot of help, you know, and, and so um it's it's whether people believe in our mission and, and, and believe in what we're trying to do and and trust that we're being open and honest and, you know, just saying what we think and feel and putting it out there in the open for people to judge, you know, let them be the judge of that. If they believe in us and they believe in what we're doing, then I, you know, I want to encourage all your listeners to, to join up and, and help and get paid for it, you know. Yeah, initially the tokens will not be worth very much, but you know we need to get away from my short-term instant gratification kind of thinking. Long-term, if you believe in what we're doing, the token will be worth more than the dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is where, like, a lot of people ask me, guys, well, I I need to get paid like two hundred dollars an hour for a therapy session, right? And and I've got like I can't afford two hundred dollars for a therapy session right now. Like I don't have a job, you know, so how do I continue my therapy right now? You know, if I can, let's say pay $100 and then the other $100 I can supplement with the tokens, yeah, maybe that token is only what 10 cents or 20 cents right now, right? But if we build this community and you're all part of this community to help build it, guess what? Maybe in a year from now, it's worth $1.20 and not 20 cents. So you just end up making actually more money than what you originally charged. So we have to get away from this notion of, you know, instant in time, instant gratification, and think about the larger community of what we're trying to build here. And it will, everybody wins in the long run is kind of what we're trying to do. Yeah, you're not going to be a millionaire. Maybe you will, who knows? But 
But what you are going to be able to do is have a livelihood that you can be proud of and have a decent middle-class life, we hope. And that's that's a great thing to be able to accomplish. And if we can do that, you know, at least for myself, I'll be happy with that. I don't need any more. It's an amazing vision. It truly is. And how can others learn more about your company and become a part of the community? Yeah, very simple. Go to our website, mindlumen.vision. There's a contact form there. Uh, contact us there. Read, learn, ask questions, listen to the podcast, this podcast and other podcasts on our media page, and then join our Discord channel if you believe in wanting to helping and contributing. Come there, join us, and and then... Let's build this thing together. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Neil. We really appreciate you having you on the vine. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, yeah, this is exciting and passionate at the same time. So I can't wait to see where this goes. Us too. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to our first episode of 2022 of The Vine, a plant media project podcast. Thank you again for Neil, the founder of Mind Lumen, for joining us on today's show. And tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around cannabis and psychedelics. Thank you.